Forgiveness and trust are two different things. I don't have to ever trust those people, but I do have to forgive them. And so we can never lump those two together. They're separate. So maybe you've been slighted by someone. Maybe somebody's done something to you. And what you need to do is learn to say, I forgive them. And maybe even tell that person to their face, hey, I forgive you. I forgive you. And once you forgive them, hey, if there's another argument that comes up, don't bring it up. It's done. If you've truly forgiven them, then forgive them. Forgiveness isn't an easy task. It requires effort from you to show grace to someone who's wronged you and strength to continue in relationship with them while removing the fault from your interactions. In today's message, Pastor Mark will ask you to exercise complete forgiveness in every situation, no matter how difficult it is. The alternative is partial forgiveness, which doesn't forget the wrong and clings to the pain. This only leads to more problems down the road, with those unresolved hurts resurfacing at inopportune moments. It's better to forgive and let go of the pain now and begin to live in the freedom from the wound. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 15 with today's edition of Come Alive. 2 Samuel chapter 15 is where we're at. We're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in God's Word. Chapter 15 of 2 Samuel verse 1 says, After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early to stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. And it was so, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. If you remember who Absalom is, he's uh, one of David's sons. And what's going on here is, you know, he and David, we talked about, you know, they kind of kissed and made up, they kind of hugged and things were going on. But there's still, if you look here, there's still this little, there's bitterness. Bitterness is still here. And so we talked last week like, oh yeah, it looks like the story ended happily last week, but it really doesn't because here Absalom gets up very early in the morning And as we read this story and as we move on forward through the book of 2 Samuel, we will see that things will never be right between Absalom and his father. David, I'm sure, has a lot of bitterness inside because of what Absalom had done to his other son, Amnon. And Absalom, if you think about this, I love what his name means. It means the father of peace. It's Ab-Shalom. And so yet we don't see this. We see the opposite here. We don't see him being a person or a father of peace. We see him kind of trying to stir up some trouble. So Absalom had built up a lot of bitterness over the fact that David didn't do anything 
about Amnon. Amnon, if you remember, had raped their sister, Tamar, and it's Absalom's full sister, and Amnon was Tamar's half-sister. And so he's pretty upset about what had taken place and that David had given no disciplinary action towards that crime. And so let me share this real quick principle with you. Partial forgiveness will always lead to bitterness and bondage, but it'll get worse instead of better. So if, if it's only partial forgiveness, we saw some partial forgiveness But if you really don't deal with it in a real way, then bitterness will take root again because you've got to get rid of the whole thing. You've got to learn and make that decision because forgiveness, I'll say this over and over and over again, it's not a feeling. It's not based on when you need to, according to, oh, this is, no, no, it's a decision you have to make. And it's a daily decision for some people up to a certain point in time. I can tell you in my own life, I had an issue with forgiveness. I'd be driving on my way to church, and I'd be praying for these people's salvation while still thinking and seeing, wanting to do horrible deeds to them. For what they'd done to me, I felt betrayed. And I was betrayed. But it was in every single day. And I was, and I was going to church, not just to sit, but to serve. And I had bitterness in my heart, and every day, I I mean, almost every second of every day, I'd be like, Lord, I forgive them. I had to just hear myself say it. I had to really just start doing it and really thinking that if these two people walked up in front of me, if they hung out with me, I would have to treat them kind. And so, Lord, give me the power and the strength to do it until I got it out of my head that I had to do something special for the forgiveness to take place and just turn it over to the Lord it didn't work. I had to just completely give it to God, just surrender and say, Lord, let me do this. Let me make this once and final decision. Let me say it. And so I did. I went to a pastor and said, hey, I'm having a real problem. I'm having a problem with forgiving. This isn't, they're like, no, you're not. You're just going through some emotional things. You're allowed to be angry. You're angry, but retrain your thoughts, stay in the word. And so pray over them the scriptures that you read that you want prayed over you. What if it were you that done that to those individuals? Would you want them to forgive you once you realize that you were the one in the wrong, once you realize your sin? And I said, yes. And then just treat them the way you would want to be treated. And it really did help a lot. It still took a while. It wasn't something that was real easy, but I had to make a final decision and say, look, once and for all, I'm going to ask you, Lord, to forgive me for thinking these horrible thoughts, and I'm going to forgive them. And I had to make a phone call. And, I, and it was a hard phone call because they were like, well, what are you forgiving us for? And I was like, ah, I'm not even going to get into that because then it would start up bitterness again. I'd be angry for a whole different thing. And it wasn't worth my time. It wasn't worth it anymore. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. I don't have to ever trust those people, but I do have to forgive them. And so we can never lump those two together. They're separate. So maybe you've been slighted by someone. Maybe somebody's done something to you, and what you need to do is learn to say, I forgive them. And maybe even tell that person to their face, hey, I forgive you. I forgive you. And once you forgive them, hey, if there's another argument that comes up, don't bring it up. It's done. If you've truly forgiven them, then forgive them. It takes some effort. So here we see a little bit of a corrupt competition beginning between this young man and his dad, Absalom and David. He's getting in there between the disgruntled. He's standing, he wakes up early, stands at the gate. The gate was the place where business took place. Judgments would happen. And so he was saying, in a sense, I'm the one to help you, so vote for me and things will change. Here I am, 
my dad's the king. He has no time for you. He has no deputy. He's not really set up, but I'm the guy. So come see me. So he's standing at the gates. And again, a lot of business would take place. A lot of legal deals would happen here. They would go down. Contracts are drawn up at the gates. And he's there telling the people that he's the one who can fix all their problems. I can fix all your problems. It's one of those almost too good to be true type situations. See, he's one of those people that, well, he's slightly disgruntled. And he approaches to meet the need. And because he can meet the need, you got to think about this. He thinks he can meet the need, but he really can't. And so he really can't fix anything. So he thinks that he can. So he approaches people and says, I'm going to meet your need. And because he really can or cannot, I mean, he really doesn't fix anything. Either way, if he could or if he couldn't, he can't fix anything. All he does is say, I see that you have a really good case. I see that you come here with a great complaint. He agrees with them. But if I were king, anybody ever been there? If I were boss, yeah, I know. That guy's a jerk. He should have allowed our desks to be closer together, or he should have gave me that newer phone. I mean, that other guy, he's new, and I've been here for so long. But if I were boss, or this is the way I would do things if I were boss, and you get you a couple of people that, oh, yeah, you'd be a good boss, dude. You'd be the best boss. And so if I were king is what Absalom's doing. If I were boss, I think we've all done that. I think we've all been there. If I were the boss, this is what I would do differently. And a lot of times you get these people who just want title. Oh, I don't care if you give me a raise. Just give me the title. I want the title. Well, you're pretty useless at a lower title. I don't want you to be even more useless at a higher title. We have to be careful. I can see you have a really good case. If I were in charge, I would fill in the blank. I think we've all said that. Because that guy has no clue as to what he's doing. If I were boss, we have to be real careful with that. And we see that happening here with Absalom. He begins politicking. You know, politicking, we get to see it every couple of years. You know, the word politics is made up of two words. One word is poly, it means many, and then ticks, which means a blood-sucking parasite. So we see him talking to people as they come to the king's court. We see him talking to these people as they walk up with legal deals and complaints and problems. And he's like, let me kiss your baby. Let me shake your hand. Let me kiss you. And they're like, wow, you know, we don't get that from Dave. He doesn't shake our hands or kiss our babies. He doesn't kiss me. And so this guy really begins this politicking. I never understood why politicians have to kiss somebody's baby. I would not want, it doesn't matter if I like them or not, kissing my kid if I don't know you. I don't even like some of the people kissing my kid that do know. I don't even sometimes like my mom kissing my kid. I'm like, oh, man, don't kiss my kids, mom. You're freaking me out. Those are mine. You had your chance. So he's trying to undermine his dad's authority. He's stealing the hearts of the people, and he's constructing this corrupt competition. He's making this thing happen. Look at verse 7. 
It says, now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. Ooh, this sounds good. Any parent, hey, dad, let me go to church. Uh, Which one of you would say, oh, no, son. The minute you walk into that church, it's going downhill. It's already gone downhill. We're in it, right? We're all here. So this reference here that we see is, it says, now it came to pass after 40 years. Some of your translations have a little star by it and say, oh, well, it means four years. Well, I think it means is it might have been 40 years from the time that had passed since David's anointing, but it could be just four years have taken place since this whole Tamar situation. So either one, I don't know, but I'm not going to die on any hill today on uh, arguing that point. But this situation is four years since all this stuff has taken place, is what it seems. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose, and he went to Hebron. And then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. And then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. So here you got this guy, and we see this coup taking place. Whenever there's bitterness, there's misery, and we know the same, misery loves company. Misery loves company. So now we see the malcontent men, if you're taking notes. We got corrupt company, and now malcontent men. And so there are those who will feel the same way, and there are those who are clueless. We see the clueless ones, and they have no idea. They're innocent. They just, hey, we're cool. Whatever, we'll follow. We'll go that way. And there are those people that just follow because that's what they do. They have no idea why they follow. They have no idea why they believe the way they believe. Well, my mom and dad, they always voted this way, so I vote this way. I was told I fit into this class, so that's what I do. Without really researching the who's and what's. The who's and what's of what's going on. So here's Absalom. He's got these guys. There's a few of them. He has 200 men who have no idea of what's up, why they're even following, but there's 200 of them. And the innocent ignorant are who they are. Sometimes that's who we are. Just the innocent ignorant, and we have no idea. They just follow. They don't know why. And whenever there's bitterness and malcontent people starting to beep their own horns, well, there are those who will follow just to go with the flow. Oh, I don't want to cause any waves. I'm just going with the flow. I don't want any trouble. I just want to stay here and not be involved. I mean, I used to be involved, and it was just, yeah, it was a lot of trouble, and it really got me nowhere. And yeah, it just and then there was that guy or that girl, and they were kind of a problem. So you know what? I'm just, this looks better. And there's 200. I mean, after all, how could 200 people be wrong? Well, we'll see that they're wrong. So we shouldn't be one of the ignorant innocent. Don't be one of those. So let's look at the guys. Let's look at these guys. Ahithophel, who is this guy? We hear this name and, you know, again, Ahithophel. Sounds like you got something wrong with your tongue. Ahithophel was the guy that David would always bounce stuff off of. Hey, Hithy, 
check this out. I got this great idea. And what do you think of? And so Ahithophel would listen and be like, oh, Dave, man, that's kind of lame. Or, yeah, that'd be great. So Ahithophel was one of David's counselors. So why does Absalom go to Ahithophel? And remember, when we study the Bible, those are the questions we need to ask. Who, what, where, when, why, how? Well, the so what? So what? Well, Ahithophel, if you remember, in chapter 11, verse 3, this verse tells us that Bathsheba, if you turn there real quick, we're gonna, we can go there and take a look. It's just a few pages over. 11, verse 3, it says, So David sent and inquired about the woman. Remember, the woman would be in Bathsheba. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And you're like, well, that doesn't say anything about Ahithophel. Well, that's Eliam's daughter. And now if you go ahead a few chapters to chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, we're just going to back up who we know and who this guy is just to find out who he is. Verse 23. Hopefully it's still in my Bible. Here it is. 2 Samuel, verse 23. We see a list of David's mighty men in verse 34, right? And it runs this little list down for us. In verse 34, it says, Eliphalet, the son of Ahasbi, the son of the Machathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. So Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. And so here, Eliam's dad is Ahithophel. And if you go down to verse 39, you see Uriah, the Hittite's name as well in chapter 23. And again, so what? Big deal. Well, Ahithophel and Uriah are army buddies. David's mighty men. David's mighty men was a mighty fighting force. Say that five times real fast. And so, you know, these are army buddies. And so one introduces his daughter to his buddy and says, hey, here's my daughter. Here's Bathsheba. When the whole adultery thing takes place, Ahithophel knows what happens, what's going on. Now, some of you might be going, oh, I see. I'm beginning to put two and three together and get five. And Absalom begins to think, who can I get to side with me? I'm looking for somebody else that's really not digging on David. And I need somebody that's bitter and disgruntled, and I can get them on my side. So who could that possibly? Oh, well, here's Ahithophel because he, he just, David really messed up that dude's family. So I bet, let me go check it out. So he, he kind of goes and he, he says, hey, buddy, here's what's going on. And so Absalom begins to think, who can I get to side with me? And maybe he is still a little bitter about what David had done to Bathsheba's husband, his army buddy. If he's not upset about Bathsheba, then he'll really be upset about what happened to his buddy in the army. And so it was an injustice done to his family. And if it's truly the case, then Absalom could exploit this weakness for his own personal purpose. And that's what happens a lot of time when you bump into that bitter individual in the workplace, in the church. They're always trying to get people to side with them. Even sometimes in marriage counseling, you'll have people come in and state their side, and they really want you on their side. And one of the first things we say is like, listen, I'm always telling my wife and I, we're here with you as a married couple. I'm not on your side, and I'm not on your side. I'm on the side of marriage. We love you both, but I'm not on your side or on your side. Now, you've probably done something wrong, and you've done something wrong to get here. So let's start working this thing out. But see, a lot of times that bitter person really just wants somebody on their side. They want to win. 
They want to win the argument. They want to win the day. And so, again, it's just one of those things when allowing bitterness to take root within your soul can lead to destruction. Maybe you're dealing with bitterness in your own life somewhere and you're trying to get people on your side. Or you've been burned by a boss or a coworker, a friend or a relative, a spouse or a church or a Christian. And you blame God. Or there was forgiveness never asked or given. And so here you have this problem. Now you're bitter, you're angry, and someone has to come with an idea and a plan. But you know what? You sit there and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm willing to defect. I'm willing to leave. And I would say if that's the case, be careful. See, we need to learn that forgiveness, again, is a command and not a suggestion. True forgiveness will provide harmony. It will allow you to move on and get past it. It will allow those other people just to get away. There's a story about these two monks, and they're walking. They're going to go help a couple of people harvest some crops that need help. And as they're walking, they come to a brook. And it's pretty wide, and there's an old lady there, and she's sitting down, and she's kind of upset. And they ask, what's wrong? And she says, well, I can't cross. The current's too strong for me to cross by myself. And the monks look at each other and they're like, well, you know, we can help you across. And she says, okay. So one monk grabs her feet, the other monk grabs her by the shoulders, and they walk her across the brook. And they set her down. And as the two monks, and she goes on her way, and as the two monks continue on their journey, one monk begins to complain about his back aching. And he keeps complaining and complaining. After miles and miles, the other monk goes, bro, what is your deal? And he's like, well, if we had never picked up that old woman and carried her across, my back wouldn't hurt. And the other monk said to him, hey, man, I set her down five miles ago, and you're still carrying her. Get over it. Sometimes we carry those grudges, and we wonder why we hurt. And so here we see that Absalom is a little bitter. He goes to Hebron. Think about this. Hebron. Where was David anointed king? Hebron. And that would have been the old capital city. David moved the capital city from Hebron to Jerusalem. So why does Absalom go to Hebron? Well, I'm sure there's going to be somebody a little upset about Hebron not being the capital city. Some of those city leaders. You see what this guy's doing? You see how bitterness can kind of take root and start looking around? It puts its feet. It's like an octopus. It starts putting feelers out. It starts talking and getting people looking for and gathering more disgruntled people. So Ahithophel is bitter. All or most of the people in Hebron are bitter. So make me your king. King of the bitter is what Absalom wants. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor Mark's teaching in the book of 2 Samuel. We wish we had more time to spend with you, but sadly, we need to wrap up our broadcast today. Right now, though, you can hear more from Come Alive by visiting our website. At Come Alive Radio, you'll be able to listen to past teachings, connect with us on Instagram, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, too, so consider yourself invited to our Sunday services at Calvary Chapel Katy. You can find out more at comealiveradio.com or give us a call at 281-391-5503. Be sure to let us know how we can be lifting you up in prayer. Before we end our time with you, Tracy has a request to share. Here at Come Alive, we want to make sure we're following God, not what other people around us are saying. With everything we do, we want to honor our Creator and point people to salvation. 
That's where you come in. We'd appreciate your prayers for Pastor Mark and all of us here at Come Alive. Would you lift us up to the Lord each time you listen to our program? Thank you for interceding on our behalf. Would you consider donating to Come Alive too? Any amount is helpful, and you can easily donate by texting 77977. That's 77977. Thank you so much for prayerfully considering this, and thanks for tuning in to Come Alive.